Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Milwaukee, start your engines. It's time to talk about all things racing. NASCAR, IndyCar, Sports cars and Formula One. This is the final inspection show presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Now, here's your host, Steve Saki. And welcome to the Final Inspection Show. I'm Steve Zotke, along with my trusty sidekick, Jeff Verlosky. How are you doing today, sir? Oh, fantastic, Steve. What's happening? Living the dream, aren't we? Always, always. Last show of the year. Yeah, I would say that uh, it went by quick, but uh, sometimes it did, sometimes it didn't. We've actually extended the season a bit here this year. Usually, we're in the past, we were usually done the weekend before thanksgiving and we've last couple of years we've extended it to thanksgiving weekend to cover the uh final the finale at homestead and this year we decided to extend it a couple more weeks because we can still have some stuff to talk about primarily today we're going to be talking uh about a movie that's out and i think it's a pretty good movie it's uh ford versus ferrari we've both seen it yeah we're going to talk about it later in the show. And uh, and uh, we're going to talk about some racing movies in general, too, in the past. And including uh, uh, including the uh, shows or films like Winning and Le Mans and other stuff. So, And uh, maybe we can get uh, Mr. McGivern to join. No, no, he doesn't want to talk racing today. Well, he's definitely our did NASCAR I, expert. Did I steal your headphones? You can talk. No, I can talk NASCAR. Sure. Yeah, um, Tom Cruise, my favorite driver. There you go. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things we're going to be talking about is racing movies. So There it is. Yeah. Did, did, Cole did, Triple. Did yeah. I take your uh, headphones? You did. Uh, if you could just put those back in Jack's office. Nope. That's oh, yeah. Key. That's it. That's yeah. all, boys. Because I don't want Jack we, mad at me. We love Jack. You're right. Jack can drive his car faster than I can, so he can catch me. <laughs> Boys, have a great show. Thank you. Thank you. Mike McGivern. Big time. Big time. High school insider. He is. That was a good State show. championship winning assistant coach in basketball. So that that should be fun. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to talk with Tom Beeler. 
Uh, we had him on the show a couple weeks ago, and uh, I've known Tom for about 20 years, 20-plus 20 years, and uh, talked to him about the Ford versus Ferrari movie. And I'm going to get some pros and cons on it. So I guess the number one thing that people have to remember when they see movies like this, though, it is a film. It's not a documentary. Yeah, not 100% historically accurate, but uh, it's Hollywood. Hollywood. Hollywood likes to take some liberties. Now, there's exceptions where you kind of can push it a little too far, and it becomes a negative. Case in point, Pearl Harbor movie that was out about 10, 15 years ago. Case in point, American Sniper. Okay. You know, from the very first scene in that movie, it's fiction. Okay. The very first scene. I sat there, I read the book, I go to the movie, five minutes in, I'm like, what the hell am I watching? Yeah. You know, you want to do a movie about this guy's life, and the first five minutes is all crap. Well, it, and uh, I guess I guess I do have a problem with uh, when you when you see a movie and you kind of know a little bit of the backstory, and, and the story is so good that you don't really need to, you know, embellish. Right. Because it's just a fascinating story to begin with. Now, granted, if it's a story where, well, you want to kind of make it a little, little Hollywood, I, you know, we totally understand that. But there's some stories that are so exceptional, like, wow, I can't believe that really happened. You know, and, and it's like you're like, why they did not have to do that? Why did they have to wreck it? Yeah, you know, they it happens a lot, but, uh, you know, it's Hollywood, so what do you expect? But we'll be uh, talking so more about that in a few minutes. We'll also be talking with Timothy Frost. He's our kind of racing business insider. And, of course, he'll be in Indianapolis next week uh, for his uh, race conference. And we'll be talking more about that with him also. But also uh, about uh, the, there's a new kind of structure in NASCAR. No more title sponsor. Yeah. And now before you go, oh, this, see, this is, well, it's kind of they're basing it for where NASCAR is right now, they're kind of basing it on what Formula One does. So how they set up their sponsorships and that. So it'll be kind of interesting to see what, what Tim thinks about this new setup with NASCAR and what they're calling premier partnerships. You know, to me, it sounds like a very good idea. Uh, you know, has anybody called the Bush series anything but the Bush series right. in the last 20 years? Right. Uh, it's still the Winston Cup Series to me. <laughs> you know, you want me to call it the Monster Energy Cup Series? That's not going to happen. I've never drink. Uh, I've never had a Monster Energy in my entire life. I never will. So I'm not calling it that. You know, if you have a whether it's a stadium or something where it changes hands, the sponsorship. Now Miller Park is going to be going to American Family in in the near future. Now, if it's American Family for an extended period of time, I think that's okay. Because you had an extended period of time Miller and now. But when you have a situation like San Francisco and their ballpark, which I can't even tell you what the name of it now, because I think they've had like four or five names over the last 10 years. Yeah. Because of, of, of partnerships that have gone bankrupt and whatnot out there. And, you know, and uh, you know, we, we make jokes about uh, uh, what, I, what I've now returned – refer to Indianapolis Raceway Park IRP because it went through a couple uh, inunations of different names and that, and now I'm like, no, 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 that's enough. It's, well, and some, it's Lucas Oil, I guess now, Lucas Oil, but it's it's IRP. Well, and some of these stadiums just have stupid names. You take Comiskey, where the, uh, the hated White Sox play. Yeah. You know, I think the official name is Guaranteed Rate Ballpark. 
yeah. are you out of your mind? Right. It's Comiskey Park. And huh. yes, I'm older than older than dirt, but uh it's always gonna be Comiskey. I don't care or what the name Sears Tower. Slip, Anna. Yeah, it's still called the Sears Tower. What is it called again? It's Willis Tower. Willis now? Tower, yeah. No, everybody calls it the Sears It'll Tower. It'll be the Sears Tower forever. It's yeah. gonna be Miller Park forever. I don't care if American family's got it for twenty years. I'm still calling it Miller Park. I remember as a kid, some of our older listeners may remember this, but when you know the Brewers, when we were kids, were only not even in the city for ten years. When I was in grade school and that, and I had to go, I was good to get a kick out of how my grandparents and sometimes my parents would say, "Oh, the Braves," instead of the Brewers. Yeah, you don't see that too much anymore. But for a while there, a lot of people would say, "Hey, are you gonna watch the Braves game?" <laughs> but, yeah. Oh, I mean, I mean, Brewer game. <laughs> so, I tell you what, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we're gonna talk. Uh, uh, just get you caught up in the world of racing, uh, and uh, yeah, there's still stuff happening. Formula would still had a Formula One race recently, and there's some some silly season stuff going on. So we'll get you caught up with that in just a moment on the final inspection show. Brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, along with our friends at David Hobbs Honda. Final Inspection Show, Steve Zatke, along with Jeff Orlowski. Final show of the year. And uh, I'd like to thank uh, Great Lakes Dragway, of course, for their support all year long. And if you're looking for some Christmas gifts, apparel, and season passes, they are available at the gift store at Great Lakes Dragway. And uh, go, you can actually go down to the track and buy them in person. The gift shop is open till 5 p.m. and Saturday until 4. Come down, they'll even uh, give you a cup of coffee to warm up if you need it. There you go. Great deal. Lots of fun. And it's cheap. You go four times, it pays for itself. Oh, my God, I have to watch racing four times a year. Twist <laughs> my arm. Yes, please. And if you go to the Final Inspection Show on Facebook, well, I just posted the 2020 season at Great Lakes Dragway. Yeah. Lots of opportunities to go out there. Something for everybody. That's what's the nice, the nice thing about Great Lakes Dragway is if you're in, of course, muscle cars, of course, they got you covered. If you're into more of the, the import stuff, the newer stuff, they got you covered. VWs, you into that? Oh, yeah, got that. If you're in the, in the pretty women, they They've got you got covered that. there. Yeah. You like good food, they got you covered there. Cold beer. Cold beer, yep. Full liquor bar. Yep. Anything your heart or liver desires. Good stuff. Good stuff. It's a good time, and uh, you will enjoy yourself. You have the Steve and Jeff guarantee. And thanks to Roy Henning for joining the show last week. If you missed any part of that, you can catch it on Radio.com. Download the app. Favorite the fan. You can uh, like the final inspection show and all the podcasts that we put up will appear on there. So if for some reason... You know, the honeydew list is a little long on a Saturday afternoon. You can go back at your leisure and listen to it later. In fact, all the shows you can listen to. Yep. Uh, the Final Inspection Show, uh, stuff that we did down in Indianapolis in May, the good stuff that we did at Road America, uh, that's on there. So a lot of a lot of interesting interviews and whatnot. 
And then if you think that we're a bunch of idiots with our predictions, you can actually go week by week and uh, see how bad we did. Yeah, uh, you know, I don't know who did better, but uh, it would probably be you than me. Football, though, almost nailed that thing last week. Yeah, yeah, you did. I missed it by three points. You know, I said Packers thirty-one to thirteen, and they won what thirty-four to thirteen, I think it was. Yeah, so almost had it, and unfortunately, I picked the Forty-Niners the week before. Well, it no. was that Phoenix air is making me think clearly for once. Yeah, you weren't uh, you weren't surrounded by the Kool Aid. No, no, no. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, this week will be interesting, though. It's not a it it if they can if they can take care of the Redskins' running game, it should be no problem. Otherwise, it could be an interesting game if they can't stop the run. This we, week should be a laugher. It should be. But I got that in the back of my head. What's the Packers' weakness on defense? Running. The running What's game. the best thing the Redskins do? Run the ball. Yeah, there you go. You know, but, uh, you know, the Redskins are what, 3-9? and nine? Yeah. Yeah, they're 3-9 and nine for a reason. They suck. Yeah. So, uh you know, but then again, the Giants suck too, and we didn't blow them out until the fourth quarter. Right. So, you know, but I, uh, if I was going to the window, I would bet heavily on the Packers. Okay. Duly noted. What was your prediction? I believe this week I said 34-13, 31-13, something like that. Yeah, I think I did 35-16. Okay, so yeah, we're right in the same ballpark. So, uh, Lewis Hamilton won the final uh, race of the year last week at Abu Dhabi, uh, and uh, won from the pole. And I didn't even watch it. I got, I gotta, I gotta be honest with my listeners. Didn't even watch it. Yeah, Out I didn't in Phoenix. Either. I, I had it taped. I'm like, nah, I don't. I know who won. I, let's move on. Hopefully Ferrari can do something next year, make it a little more competitive. Ratings have been up, though, on ESPN big time. Uh, they've been getting some nice uh, bounce back. And it's, you know, it, I, you know, everybody loved, you know, Habo and, uh, you know, Lee Diffie and Steve Matchett. And it was nice having that, having the listeners, you know, you knew it was a, an American broadcast. Uh, with this one, it, it's, you know, you're getting Sky Sports from uh, England. It's not as bad as people think. You know, I'm not, you know, yeah, they kind of irritate you at times. But, you know, ESP, ESPN is uh, enjoying it because they can do it with no commercials. Yeah, it's definitely not a David Hobbs broadcast, no. which uh, we, you know, thoroughly we're enjoyed. Spoiled. And, yes, we were very spoiled for many years. Uh, but, no, it, it's not as horrible. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's still F1, so it's not like you're watching exciting racing. Yeah. I got a kick out of this. Uh, I won't mention him, even though I know the writer. But uh, it was an Indy 500. Indy 500 winner believes sky is the limit with IndyCar's new owner. Well, that's one in, in the same. Yeah. They're both the same person. What is he supposed to say? Oh, I don't know. I got, I don't know, Roger Penske buying IndyCar? I got trepidations. I mean, it's. It's a fluff piece. Of course. Of but, course. I mean, there's going to be a lot of those. Well, and that's it, kind of taking over sports, especially with the BS with Jason Garrett is uh, could be the Giants new. Come on, please. Yeah, that's stupid. Really? And, you know, is, uh, is his headphones even plugged in when he's on the sideline? Uh, you know, <laughs> or or you can't you can listen, but you can't talk. 
That's probably more like it. He can listen, but he can't speak. Uh, all he does is sit, stand on the sidelines and clap. The clapper. But, uh, you know, I think Roger Penske, the fact that he bought IndyCar, it's go- it kind of opens up a can of worms. Because if there's a, a call that goes in the favor of oh, a Penske sure. driver, everybody's going to be screaming conspiracy. Um, it just, there's, I could... I could foresee some problems. And uh well, he's going off the pit stand. He's he, he said that he won't be calling races anymore, especially in IndyCar. But it's interesting that uh, Tony Holman had a had a race team. Well, his, his daughter did Mary Holman, the the Howell Racing Team. It was an acronym. And uh they raced in the 50s into the early 60s, but they they would not enter at Indianapolis. They raced at Milwaukee, Trenton, the dirt tracks net, but they would not race at Milwaukee, or I mean at uh, Indianapolis, because they didn't want to take a spot from the owners. So they were like, they would never enter a car there. So they would free that up. Now, granted, there's precedence with Penske. Of course, obviously, he runs there, and, and, and you want Penske to be at the track. Right. And, you know, so... It's a kind of a different deal. I'm not saying that he shouldn't run Indianapolis, but I just, you know, it's interesting that, you know, when when in the past, I thought that was always kind of neat that, you know, Holman did not enter Indianapolis because he didn't want to take a spot from it. You know, he was interested in making sure that the to keep the series strong, that he wouldn't take a spot. Well, it's a fantastic courtesy that no one would do nowadays. You know, the money that's on the line, the prestige that's on the line, it just it does not pay to be uh, courteous or you know anything like that anymore. And uh, you know that that was one heck of a gesture. And like I said, it uh, it's unfortunate, but it'll never be repeated. Chase Elliott is he the most popular driver according to fan fan voting? He is. What do you think? I guess Kyle Busch came in second. Uh, That's interesting. That is interesting. Uh, I don't know if the you know, the bump that he got from winning the championship right. this year uh, propelled him. But I was shocked that of the top five, Kevin Harvick's not on there. You know, he's been the most consistent driver in the series year in, year out for three, four years now. Um, and he's a guy who speaks his mind. I mean, he, he is, I would put him, uh, well, mine is, I've always said Kyle Larson, and it will be Christopher Bell, just because of my roots dating back to USAC and dirt tracks and whatnot. But uh, I would probably put, you know, Carvick probably would be third, only over Boyer because of his success. I like Boyer because he speaks his mind. Right. He's not a BSer. He's not a piano. Right. And so, I, I mean, those are probably the four guys I kind of like. And and Matt, Matt DiBurrito, of course. Those would probably be my top five guys that I really like. Yeah, I like those guys. Yeah, mine would be Harvick, Boyer, Keslowski. Same reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, A, he's Polish. B, speaks his mind. You know, he doesn't care what anybody thinks. He'll he'll say what's on his mind. Kyle Busch, he's thoroughly entertaining. Love him or hate him. Right. Uh, I don't root for him, but I don't really root against him. He's got more talent than anybody in the world. Well, there's a respect there, I think. There is a respect For there. his talent. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, probably Larson. The, my only problem with him is that uh, 
you know, he, he's about the size of a midget. His voice is too to, uh, too high. Um, and But I do want to say, because Kyle Larson came out uh, this, this past week, and he was asked about being one of the big uh, name free agents yeah. next season in the offseason. And uh, obviously this is his last year under contract at uh, Cheap Ganassi. And um, there's a lot of rumors about him going to the 48 when uh, old man Johnson is done. But uh, Kyle Larson said, and I'm paraphrasing, but it's almost close to a quote. The amount of dirt track races that I can run will greatly affect my decision on what team to join next year. Because anybody who loves me knows that's where my love is. Okay? So you just came out and said that your love in your heart belongs to dirt track racing. Yet you're on NASCAR's biggest stage, the most, you know, the the top series in the sport. Making the most, you know, the most money uh, in in auto racing, and you say that that's not your true love. I get that you're, you know, you know. We always complain that uh, uh, baseball, football, racing, all these guys are are robotic. They're programmable. They talk in cliches. We don't get the truth. You listen to Bill Belichick. You want to strangle him because he tells you nothing. <laughs> And so you get a guy that comes out and speaks the truth, and we're going to rip him for speaking the truth. But you're damn straight I'm going to rip him. You know, you can't sit there and be in the sport that's making you millions upon millions of dollars, the sport that the only reason why you can fund and have a competitive dirt uh, car team is because of the money in the series that you are making and then to sit there and not say that that is your true love, to me, I find that problematic. It's on a couple of well, yes, I totally understand that. What well, on your point of view? But it's also kind of like a shot, like you know, hey, and and we've heard other drivers say this too. Racing's not as fun as it used to be. Well, of course, it's too damn easy now. Right, and it's like. The, these guys want to be challenged so it's a two-edged sword where you want to be you know you want these drivers to be honest and you know that's how he feels of course but but yet again i understand where if i if i'm rick hendrick i don't care go do your dirt track stuff within reason i'm not i'm not gonna let him run belleville high bank dangerous track i'm not gonna run them you know maybe uh a couple other places but all in all, within reason, yeah, I'm fine with that. See, if I was, uh, you know, say I'm Stuart Haas, and you know going into next season, Clint Boyer's on the hot seat, Eric Amarola's on the hot seat. You know, these guys haven't had the success uh, that they should have in the equipment that they're in. I would make a huge push for Kyle Larson, obviously. Now, the problem is trying to get him to switch from Chevy over to Ford. But. I would sit there and say, hey, you know, you could drive as many races as you want. I'd have the same rule as Chip Ganassi. You can't be in, uh, you know, the yeah. in the sprint car before uh, 24 hours before right. you're running NASCAR. However, if you do get hurt, 
the weeks that you miss, we will not pay you for, mm-hmm. and you owe us a million dollars on top of it. Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, that's a deal breaker there. If you don't get paid, that's fine. But, And I think that's a little great. I, you know, some of this can be, and this is one of the issues with, with some of the guys in NASCAR that only follow NASCAR and they really have no idea what's going on in the world outside of NASCAR is that, you know, they still think it's so, so dangerous. Yes, bad stuff has happened, but it, it can happen. And I still say NASCAR can get injuries too. And we've seen some injuries in NASCAR over the last couple of years. And I think it's going to get worse because of the guys driving these things thinking they're invincible and they're going to put themselves in bad situations. And But I'd rather have a guy in a car who may miss a few races with a broken leg knowing that he can win the championship than maybe having a guy that, that I know that won't get hurt. And Is going to run 23rd week in, week Exactly. Out. Exactly. Yeah, you know, I see that. Uh, I want to say that the... Tony, I mean, well, you better... When Tony Stewart was at his peak running dirt car races and dirt tracks, you know, you knew you were in the, you know, in, in, the, in the mix for a championship. And when he did break his leg, okay, so, okay, that, that year is gone. But then, then you have a situation with Kyle, uh, Kyle Busch. He got hurt. And they even they still even let him run for a championship, which he won. And he won it. Yeah, they so, gave him the waiver to get him right. in the playoffs, and he won. So I mean, there's there's some precedents there, precedents there, and I think I think the press kind of beats up too much on it because most these guys, most of them, not all, but most the majority, I would even say close to seventy five percent of the dwindling people that follow meet uh, NASCAR uh, week to week, they they don't cover other races. And if they do, it's because they got invited by somebody, whether it's Kyle Larson or it's part of a NASCAR deal. So they, they don't know what's going on at these other tracks. They don't really understand that life. It's yeah. Just... You know, I, uh, I'm i kind of like that. I follow NASCAR, not exclusively, but almost. You know, my heart is... But al- you've been at dirt tracks. You've been at probably more dirt tracks and, and, and NASCAR races. And you oh, understand why there's that allure there. Of course, I I love it. You know, right. I love dirt track racing. I mean, you're talking about a, uh, especially sprint cars, and you put a wing on that thing. You're talking about balls out racing. You're talking about really testing yourself. You have to be on top of your game. Oh, absolutely. I want to say that in the NASCAR series, um, the 2010s was the first decade there were no fat- no fatalities. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, obviously, it is getting safer because it's safer, because they've made the cars so easy to drive. I'd wish they'd get rid of the stupid yellow line rule at Daytona and Talladega. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, let these guys have at it. You're going to make these cars pretty much bulletproof. And with the exception of the last uh, 10, 12 weeks of the season, mechanical issues haven't been a problem in NASCAR now for five years. Well, I think the biggest thing is, is, and they say this because of safety to the drivers, I think it's actually safety to the fans because if you let those guys go below the yellow line and they get hooked, their biggest fear is like what Austin Dillon did, uh, uh, Brad Keselowski, you know, when the, the car gets hooked, turned to the right, gets air, and then goes into that catch fence. You can only do that so many times before something really, really bad is going to happen. Yeah. And that's I think that's their biggest fear is that 
when when you when you go below that yellow line and a guy hooks him going the other way kind of you know almost like a like a pit maneuver like the uh the cops do you know that car starts to go to the right gets air underneath it i don't care you can put as many flaps as you want but there's still going to be mechanical lift and physics you know you uh, it's they've done a great job of of you know having those cars not flip so easily but they can still flip and we've seen that this year so how many times uh, have you had that personal experience with the cops hooking you? <laughs> uh, don't answer that. Don't answer that on the air. You could tell me off. <laughs> right, let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to talk with Timothy Frost, who will be uh, down in Indianapolis this week doing the racetrack business conference, along with our friend Dennis Michelson, who will be hosting it. And uh, Dennis or uh, Tim, Tim's our inside. Uh, inside racing kind of guy and the finances and the business side of it. So we're going to talk to him next, find out about this premier partnership program with NASCAR coming up next on the final inspection show. Final inspection show brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway and David Hobsonda joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. It is Timothy Frost, our business insider when it comes to the world of motorsports. Welcome to the show, Tim. Yes, hi. Happy holidays uh, to all of your audience and uh, glad to be with you. Well, thank you. I appreciate you having us. And uh, of course, this is a big week for you guys, for you and Dennis. Uh, uh, Michaelson, it's your it's the Racetrack Business Conference 2019, uh, which kind of kicks off the weekend in Indianapolis for uh, PRI, the Performance Racing Industry Show, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, kind of the uh, the end of the uh, regular racing season. The uh, entire business aspect of uh, the motorsports industry heads to Indianapolis. It's usually a little bit cold there, but when you get 40,000 people, 1,200 exhibitors uh, is quite a, a gathering at the Indiana Convention Center. Um, this will be the 36th year of the PRI show. We will be hosting on the PRI show actually runs from Thursday to Friday, uh, Thursday to Saturday. Uh, prior to that, on Wednesday, December 11th, we will be hosting the 8th Annual Racetrack Business Conference hosted by uh, one of your frequent guests, Dennis Michelson. Uh, it's quite a gathering of uh, track promoters and leading industry professionals to kind of go over the various uh, business and legal aspects of the motorsports industry. We cover tracks, but we also cover many other issues relating to operations and safety and ticketing um, for that. And we're honored to have this year as our keynote guest the uh, – the wonderful and famous and just uh, delightful and insightful uh, Lynn St. James will be our keynote speaker this week. Oh, fantastic. Lynn is a very good speaker. I've been able to do some uh, things with her through the uh, SVRA and that. And, uh, yeah, she is a delight to be with. And, uh, yeah, it should be a lot of fun for you guys. Uh, 
And 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 if you go to that, yeah, I highly recommend it. it it's really inside racing stuff. If that's if that's the type of stuff you like, uh, definitely go to that, and uh, you can uh, we'll we'll have that information on the Facebook page uh, at the end of the show here for you guys to look into for our listeners. Uh, Tim, the reason why I'm bringing you on is uh, there's a kind of a new business sponsorship uh, set up, if you want to call it. Uh, where NASCAR introduces what they're calling their premier partners of NASCAR, the NASCAR Cup Series, which includes uh, Bush Beer, Coca-Cola, Geico, and Xfinity. And from my understanding, it's kind of ba- uh, based on kind of like what F1 does, where they don't have a title sponsor, but they have a, a set of premier or head- headline sponsors, isn't it? Yeah, what NASCAR is doing, they're actually going to a tiered sponsorship model, something that... Uh has been used uh, either um, quite successfully by the Olympic Games and also by the uh, NCAA, where they have chosen to uh, go without, um, you know, kind of entitlement rights at their top series, but bring all of their uh, partners together. And in this case, uh, we're calling it the premier or the top tier for that. They've gone with with four major companies for this. I think this was a result of a couple of things. One, uh, another way to uh, to look at uh, the sponsorship model involved in the business of NASCAR. And two, we've also had the, um, you know, we, we've had a number of uh, series sponsors over the last 10, 12 years um, where we had such a long run with Winston and then we were followed up by uh uh, by Sprint, and then uh, Nextel prior to Sprint, and then we've had Monster, and each of those have actually been lesser years for that. So mm-hmm. it was kind of the, uh, the the ending of the Monster Energy sponsorship uh, for a couple of years, and then they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to relook at our business model. We're going to go to the top tiers. And by doing that, that actually kind of um, – matches along with all the business efforts that are happening at NASCAR. I mean, obviously, we've talked about before the recent merger of NASCAR and ISC is one property going private for that. We also had the people at Speedway Motorsports going private. So what they've been able to do is offer these top-tier people a whole bundle of different rights that they may not have had access to, whereas beforehand, uh, you know, Monster just had certain events, but what uh, NASCAR has been able to do is to bring in some race entitlements to it, probably give them some additional digital rights and stuff. And uh, the word was they were estimating at probably about $20 million might be the total value of each of these partnerships on the top level. That would be probably $15 million in, um, you know, in cash and in remuneration, plus about another $5 million in uh, media buy. that in which the sponsors would probably go and place ads either on some of the digital platforms uh, or obviously with their broadcast partners uh, for NASCAR. So we're going to see how it's going to go. But I think, you know, NASCAR has basically turned the entitled, you know, everything is changing here uh, very rapidly. We're also running out the the actual sanction agreements for the tracks will be ending their five-year agreement next year. We're looking at the race team alliance and the charter agreements will be winding down uh, in 20, the end of 21. They actually had a major agreement that's in there. And then we have the TV rights broadcast, which is obviously the big driver of the financial performance for the thing. So NASCAR is really just they're, – they're doing things completely differently than they were in the past. And 
Um, it's a lot of change, but, you know, the partners are staying there that see value in the sport. Um, it's just going to be in a little bit different way than has been in the past. Now, Tim, when we look back at the Monster Cup energy, blah, 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 you know, history, when they came in, they said that they were going to bring in a new fan base. Uh, they were going to, you know, bring in some of the people that like the extreme sports and all that. We heard about uh, them having UFC fights in the infield during race weekend, all that kind of stuff as well. It doesn't seem like much of that really took off. What do you think the uh, the legacy of Monster Energy as the title sponsor in NASCAR, if there is one, is going to be? You know, I, I think that um, I'm not sure if you would actually go through and maybe attribute the word legacy to what they did. Um, again, I think we were looking at the fact that NASCAR was coming off, you know, two fairly long-term sponsors. I mean, obviously the Winston, uh, the Winston um, partnership and, you know, uh, arrangement was, you know, for decades on end. Then we went into the Nextel Sprint era, which was, you know, very unique and was high dollar, high activation. I mean, that, that was when they priced that, it was, you know, uh, they were spending upwards of, you know, 60 to 70 million dollars a year on on all fronts which was just you know unbelievable amount and i think really you know they searched and they were hoping to bring in a new partner and you know monster ended up being the one that was available at the time and the price was much reduced and it was laid into the bar you know into the negotiating season and everything else like that so i would almost look like mask that monster was uh you know, it was kind of an interim. I don't want to call it a stopgap, but it was something that was there. They were able to go through and do. And due to the, the changing nature of that relationship, the changing nature of the sport, the challenges the industry and tracks and series were uh, faced with from declining attendance, removing seats, uh, lower ratings for that, that NASCAR just basically said, okay, we're going to bide our time. We'll get this through with their can. Monsters are great partner for us but you know this this will give us time to really just shake everything out and see how we're going to go through and go for it so yeah i think it was in there but i also think there was you know some realization going into that deal based on the parameters of it being you know shorter term lower price and yeah i think the things that they were doing at the track you know as far as the, the extreme sports and the motorcycle stunt shows you had to be at the track for that to be there and um, again, it's our sport is more unique than anyone that's out there. We have more types of sponsorships and different relationships that are just unheard of in every other form of professional sport. So it's hard. You've got competing interests between the tracks and the teams and the series and everything else like that. So to really stick out on the magnitude and to reduce that stuff, um, I just don't think that that reflects the current environment uh, for sponsorship revenue in sports and entertainment today. We're talking to Timothy Frost on a Great Midwest Bank hotline. Yeah, I was just asking because it, what struck my mind and and actually blew me away is when uh, when I was at the race at Chicagoland uh, this past year, and uh, you know you're in the infield. They've got the quote unquote fan zone. There was absolutely nothing going on in there at all. They had. You know, some new country guy uh, do a little concert. And besides that, 
that was it. It was barren, and uh, that just blew my mind. Seemed like there was a lot of missed opportunity um, with different companies or anything that they could have had some stuff going on in that infield to, you know, A, get people uh, in the doors, get people excited, and uh, and there was basically nothing. It was it, it was outrageous. Well, I think one of the things you have to take into consideration is when we go to the racetrack, these racetracks are very, very large pieces of property. I mean, you're talking anywhere between 500 and 1,000 acres for that. And so when you're in your one area or wherever you may be, you don't really have an idea of what's happening there. So, for example, if you go to, um, uh, to Chicagoland Speedway, which we're all familiar with here in the Midwest, you go outside the back stretch, you go to the camping area, and that camping area is, um, you know, it's basically called the Geico uh, um, campground that's in there. And there's Geico signage all over. They've got uh, stages for concerts that are going on after the races. Then you go out to actually climb the grandstands, and behind the grandstands, really, you do have much more fan activation, a manufacturer's midway that would be equivalent to um, what you might see there. But in there, you've got Toyota, you've got Sprint, you've got all of these other ones. You've got Camping World, um, much more activation than as USA and even concerts going on, um, you know, versus what you were looking or experienced in the uh, in the midway. You know, an example, the other thing, too, is, you know, uh, existing relationships that existed. And one of the things that was unique about Monster coming in is, you know, Monster had to, they came in late to the game. Majority of the property assets were already entitled or sponsored. So, you know, and their category was a little bit niche as far as it may have been, let's just call it energy drinks. But, you know, we were so used to referring to Victory Lane by Gatorade. And all of a sudden you have the Monster Series in there. And, you know, you can actually say that Gatorade and Monster may go and do so I think the actual rights that uh, that Monster came into and did um, that were there. And you know what? There's so much going on at racetracks, and they are constantly figuring out what to go through and do. Some stuff works. Some doesn't work. Um, you know, you're exactly right. The experience can be different uh, at wherever you go for that. Talking to uh, Timothy Frost on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. And make sure, uh, if you're interested, the Racetrack Business uh, Conference coming up this week. And uh, it deals with all sorts of stuff, uh, whether you're a track owner or whatnot. Uh, some of the topics that's going to be discussed, ticketing and uh, electronic waivers, facility security, which is so important nowadays, driver develop, development, and also media with the move to, to digital. And, uh, Tim, how does someone uh, register for that? They can go through and uh, check out everything at racetrackconference.com. Um, we're actually very excited. The media conference, which is really – we've got two really big announcements uh, that we're doing. We're actually going to be highlighting the Indy um, uh, Autonomous Vehicle Challenge, which will be happening at the Speedway in 2021. We're going to be doing a very, very large uh, announcement for that event. Um, for, and then our media session, which is always the best, we've got some of the – the funnest people in the industry. We have, um, you know, Ralph Shaheen from Speed Sports and Monster Energy Cross will be there. We have Bones Bercier, uh, who'll be there, who's a legendary writer on all forms of motorsports. Alan Reinhardt from NHRA will be joining us. And our latest announcement we're so excited to have is Mr. Robin Miller is going to come join us. So we've got some of the four best journalists in the business be joining us at the media conference at Racetrack Business Conference down in Indy next week. 
All right. Sounds good. Well, Tim, thank you for coming on the show and look forward to chatting with you next year as the racing season starts up again. That's great. And happy holidays to uh, all of your uh, great listeners up in uh, Milwaukee there. All right. Thank you so much. That's Timothy Frost on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Looking to buy, build, renovate, or refinance in 2019? Look no further. Call Great Midwest Bank today. Great Midwest Bank. Providing simply local common sense lending to your community since the great year of 1935. Coming up next, uh, Zotke and Orlowski are going to turn into Siskel and Ebert. Coming up next on the Final Inspection Show. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zaki. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove. On 105.7 FM, The Fan. To the final inspection show brought to you by legendary Great Lakes Dragway and David Hobbs Honda. And it's uh movie time. Yeah. What 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 was the last movie you saw before the Ford Ford versus Ferrari movie? In the theater. In Are, do, do you see a lot of uh the probably helps with you guys you know, having the kids and everything? So are you seeing more movies because of the kids? Like kids' movies, or yeah, I've seen you a guys lot of crap do like movies a date in night the theater. Where you guys, oh, no, no, <laughs> no, we haven't gone out on a date, and you know, uh, since we've been up. Well, we did once since we've been up here. So we had one date night in the last six or seven years. Well, you need to do that. Yeah, you know, pay for a babysitter. <laughs> you know, pay for the babysitter. Go out for and pay. Well, for Well, the all oldest that other is almost. Like, you almost. You got to hold off for probably another year, right? Yeah, she just turned 13. Okay. Well, the, she's... So she's old enough. The only problem is that... You don't trust her. You know, there's... <laughs> it's a constant war. Yeah. My kids, you know, when she gets frustrated, she hits the middle kid. Oh. When the middle kid well, gets frustrated... Kid. That's what the middle kid is for. He the hits abuse. the youngest yeah. kid. And... uh you that's know, trickle down. There would trickle be, down discipline. There would be blood everywhere if uh, if that's you know anybody who's had older siblings knows what abuse is. Yeah. Whether it was being thrown out into the snow and locked out of the house like I was and stuff like that. Yeah, you're always abused by your older sibling. See, me and my Part sister the, just kind of ignored each other. Toughens you up. We just kind of pretended like you know that the other one didn't exist. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you know I I, I know what you're saying. So no, we're not there yet. Where uh, where the uh, the oldest can can watch the two young boys yet, but um, you know, hopefully soon, man. But I can't remember, you know. Uh, well, the problem I have is I come home and we're like, okay, well, should we go see a movie? Well, we just had something to eat, and it's like, well, we got this big, huge TV at home, and we can watch movies there. Do we want to get in the car, go out, go to you know, and and spend money? You know, I mean, it's like I, I understand the battle that these theater, theaters have, and they've, you know, theaters have worked on it. I mean, it is a nice, you know, the theater I was out in Phoenix was was beautiful, 
comfortable and everything else. So they, yeah. they, they've upped their game, which they had to do. But The theater by me, you know, the seats recline. Yeah, you know, it's like too, you're yeah. sitting in a lazy boy. But you can't tell me that they've worked on it when a large popcorn and a large soda is $14. You know. Uh, See, I don't drink. Because if you, I drink, I'm going to be going potty at like three quarters of the way through. You know, you've got. You've got about fifty cents for in food cost for a large popcorn, and you're charging me like ten or twelve. You don't bucks. you don't shove like a can of soda in your pocket. Uh, I when I bring the kids, I sit there and I I've got pockets full you of bottles of water, like <laughs> bottles of water and candy, and and then I go and I I got to get the popcorn, and then uh, I'll I'll get a drink as well, well. But what did you think of the movie? I thought it was good. I thought it was long. But it was definitely. thought it was long. Okay. I you know, did not. Two and a half hours was, was a shade too long. I think they could have cut about 20 minutes, maybe even 30 minutes off of it. Um, I thought the acting was, was out of this world. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for me, not being a Matt Damon fan, you know, I thought his best role was Team America uh, <laughs> when he was in that one. I was skeptical. I really was. I'm like, oh, no. He did a you fantastic yes, job. Yeah. And uh, the guy that, uh, the other guy, Christian Bale. Christian Bale, he was great as well. So the acting was was out of this world. Uh, it was entertaining. I I liked it. I, you know, it, it kept my interest. And, uh, you know, there weren't too many slow areas. No CGI. Yeah. There is no CGI in this movie. So, you know, there's, you know, people remember and have nightmares about the Sylvester Stallone uh, movie driven which was about uh kart racing champ car racing and it was the early days of cgi and they just went nuts with it right and it, it was over the top and but this this one uh they actually they use it kind of as a and i think you're going to see this more and more with some movies where they kind of brag about it no cgi because yeah you can kind of get carried away with it you can kind of it i don't want to say cheat with it get lazy with it but you know, well, we don't know what to do. You know, it's the old adage, you know, we, we don't want to know what to do. Let's throw in a stunt or something. Well, that was like after that movie Independence Day came out. Yeah. And everything had to have, you know, uh, $100 million worth of special effects on it. And uh, half of them looked cheesy and it looked like crap. And the movie sucked. And it just was, you're watching two uh, an hour and a half to two hours of nothing but special effects. So... I, but overall, if we're being uh, Siskel and, and, and Ebert, I definitely give it a thumbs I got up. A, I got a funny for you. Okay. Do you know who Fred Ward is, the actor? No. He was in the right stuff, and he was in that one that one stupid, silly movie with the... The big, big, huge things in the desert. Uh, tremors. Tremors. I think it was Tremors, right? With those big uh, worm things. Uh, and he's done some other. Uh, what else does Fred Ward do? Okay, yeah. I just looked up his picture. Yeah, yeah it's one of those guys you'd recognize. Oh, and absolutely, yeah. I, I didn't. Uh, let's see here. What else? True Detective he's been in. He's been in. Uh, uh, I know. Oh, yeah, he was in Grey's Anatomy. Never knew that. Uh, anyways, and uh, so I'm watching this movie. 
<laughs> and I'm going the the Lee Iacocca <laughs> character. I'm thinking that well, oh, Fred Ward looks really good. You know, <laughs> <And> <laughs> he's like I, I didn't. You know, I'm like, uh, oh wait, wait, no, I don't think that is. No, it's John John Burn John Bernthal who plays Lee Iacocca in it. But he looks just like Fred Ward about 25 years ago. So no, Fred Ward is has aged a lot more than that. But I, I thought, I was, thought, hey, look, Fred Ward, Fred Ward's in this movie. Uh, Josh Lucas plays the the bad guy in this movie as Leo Beebe, and Leo Beebe was a Ford exec, and he gets kind of. Uh, if there's one negative in this, I guess that would be this, and they kind of you know you gotta make somebody the bad guy, right? And they make him even though. He is a dead ringer for him. Uh, they matched him up. I mean, it's like, it looks just like Leo Beebe. But uh, a friend of ours, he's been on the show a couple years ago, Art Garner, a very good uh, uh, author, and he's written several books. And probably one of the best racing books done, it's on the 1964 Indianapolis 500, which over the years a lot of misinformation came out, and people like me and a few other people, I've been trying to debunk all this stuff, and what's nice about what Art what Art did is he kind of put everything in one. So if you read this book, you can kind of get the straight story. Because uh, Mickey Thompson was a, a famous uh, designer and land speed record guy, had entered cars, and one of his cars was involved in a fatal accident. And over the years, all these rumors have grown and grown over the years, and he de- he debunked a, a lot of things. Now the problem with when you when you're doing a nonfiction movie film. You take liberties, and I if it, I kind of agree with him on this somewhat, uh, but I just wanted to kind of read it into the record, as they say. This is what uh, Art Garner wrote about it, um, because uh, he did a lot of interviews with Leo in this book. So uh, real quickly here, uh, he he liked the movie, but however, there's uh, something that's bad about the movie is the is the character assassination of Ford executive Leo Beebe. I suppose every good movie needs a protagonist and an antagonist. In the Ford, in the Ford versus Ferrari movie, the protagonists the protagonists are obvious. Uh, the the uh, Leo Beebe, or at least I should say, the character called Leo Beebe. Uh, I researched uh, Beebe while writing the book Black Noon, which I referenced just before about the 1964 Indy 500. By all accounts, he was extremely bright, quiet, and unassuming. He could be forceful and demanding, but nothing like the scheming, conniving yes-man portrayed in the movie. B.B. should be remembered as a hero. He put him through the University of Michigan in the late 30s by working the line at Ford's Rouge plant. He was a captain of the basketball team as a sophomore. He also played uh, baseball, blah, 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 and also joined the Navy. In the Navy, he, uh, when the Navy saw he worked at the Rouge, they sent him back to the plant, and he became uh, part of the, uh, running the arsenals. Uh and working on that he worked on his master's degree in communications and he was a wizard of logistics uh twice uh, in years he was called the government uh, services for his logistical talents and he also led a humanitarian effort for the hungarian refugees after that country's failed revolt against communism and also with uh with cuba and it just goes on and kind of goes on and on and I want to get to the point here. 
Okay, I've been asked to cut the movie maker some slack. It's a movie after all. Okay, there is no last uh, last lap, last turn pass by Miles to win the 66, 24 hours of Daytona. We'll get to that in the next segment coming up with, with Tom Bueller. Uh, but he, I guess I'll, he sums it up here. I'm not a sing, I'm not a single reviewer. I'm aware of his challenge, the depiction of BB. Most uh, even automobile and racing reporters say they never heard of him, which is kind of embarrassing. If you're, a, a, if you should know who he is, because he kind of played an important part. A number of refer to him uh, as a PR guy. I hope one or two of you do a little research on the subject because of the hatchet job on BB is unacceptable. It makes the movie for me unbearable. So I, I that's somebody who who knew I did not loan, I did not know. Leo Beebe, I know of him. Uh, in fact, I don't even claim to know as much about him as as uh, Art does. But yeah, for for somebody like that, I can see where yeah, you can be pissed off about that. There's a yeah, guy... but you know, from what he said, he was just he was real close to the whole situation, right? And that's that's yeah, you know. So you've got what a hundred people that had the right. access that he had back in the day, and that unfortunately has happened to movies. I mean, whether it's uh, all the president's men, uh, whatever you think about that situation, any type of movie where there's uh, a sort of historical movie about it, you know, people like that, you're going to run into that. So, right. And unfortunately, there's been people over the years that have been brought in a bad light in, in film. Of course. But like I said, he, he was too close to the situation. He knows all the ins and outs where me, the average Joe, racing fans, movie fans, no, you know, don't. And we don't know the ins and outs. What, uh, you know, obviously, I, I know a I little bit. I didn't want bit. to bring that up because I didn't want people to think, you know, okay, it is a movie, but I didn't want to think, boy, that Leo BB guy was a real ass, you know. Yeah, yeah. I don't think anybody's showing up on his uh, front <laughs> lawn with a pitchfork and burning no. torches and stuff. So, you know, come on. You know, it's a little overreaction. I, I well, you know, if, if he was a friend, you know, he was, it, it kind of hit a nerve with him. But, and, and some... I, I've seen some friends of mine who are real historians kind of go against it, like, oh, this, but they have to, like I said, my biggest thing is if you understand going into it, some liberties are being taken care of, you know, they take care of some liberties in the movie. Once you get past that, it's a fantastic movie, but you have to make that jump. Yeah. Coming up next on the Final Inspection Show, we're going to talk to my buddy Tom Beeler, media guy down in Indy, and uh, get his uh, thoughts on the movie Ford versus Ferrari. Coming up next. On Milwaukee, start your engines. It's time to talk about all things racing. NASCAR, IndyCar, sports cars, and Formula One. This is the Final Inspection Show, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Now, here's your host, Steve Zaki. And welcome to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, along with David Hobbs Honda. And we'll get right into this. Joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, it is Tom Beeler from Indianapolis. Welcome to the show, sir. Uh, great to be back, and uh, welcome from the uh, sunny motorsports capital of America. <laughs> of course. Uh, 
Tom's a writer I've known for many, many years, writer for Racing Information Services and uh, does other things within uh, the racing community. And I wanted to kind of bring you on the show because of your uh, diverse background and uh, regarding the Ford versus Ferrari movie, which uh, Jeff and I were starting to talk about the last segment, which we both give a th- give it the old uh, Cisco and Ebert thumbs up. And I just wanted to kind of get your, your thoughts on the movie. Yeah, I was listening in, and I, I would completely agree. I um, I had gone to see the movie uh, shortly after it uh, it came out, and there had been some uh, – there was a press screening here in Indianapolis uh, that I wasn't able to make. So I, I was anxiously waiting to hear what other people had thought, and it was kind of uh, – it had been mum, so I felt that was going to be a bad sign. But, no, when I got in there, I, and I, I'd gone with Barb, and, and she's my, my – uh, uh, she, she keeps me centered if I'm starting to get a little bit too effervescent about stuff. And here is, you know, you're watching Rich McDonald doing Dave McDonald's driving scenes in the Cobra. You're looking at mm-hmm. Alec Gurney representing Dan Gurney. It's, it's it's one of those things where when you know what to look for and it's, oh, yeah, they got that. Oh, yeah, they got that. It's like the Apollo 13 thing. Every now and then you get really excited. Uh, we were we both loved it, and I, I came at it with um, – a very strong understanding of the history of the, of the GT40s and particularly 1966. So um, what you guys have been saying, I think, was accurate. There's there's Hollywood in there, um, things that didn't happen but sort of represent uh, what's going on. But, uh, yeah, we were thoroughly entertained by it. Yeah, and I thought, you know, one of my biggest things I, I hate is when you see a, a historical movie – that's supposed to be dated, especially something that you lived through or you and I would live through that we would remember as younger, as, you know, like 70s. Uh, I don't remember the early 60s, but, I mean, I think we've seen enough things. We kind of know how they look in that, and I think they really nailed right. it. The detail, I thought, was was really, really well. And I always got a, a, a kind of a, you know, they, they'll just grease the hair, you know, give give guys a wet look. But they actually gave him, I yeah. thought, the the right haircuts and, and details like that, and even the drivers' uniforms were spectacular, and and, and the old windows, wind nylon windbreakers, they did a really nice job too, didn't they? Yeah, it's really tough because uh, a lot of times when Hollywood approaches a historical movie like this, that tends to have a pretty um, a fervent fan base, that they don't get the details right they don't cross the t's or dot the i's uh, i remember when the movie glory came out about the civil war that there were civil war buffs who were really good about yeah they did this right they kind of missed on that and and with something like uh ford versus ferrari it's pretty easy for guys to go in there and and nitpick and whatever but i was i was very satisfied particularly early on um in representing the history of what had gone on with the gt40 when Shelby's guys get the uh, the GT40 for the first time, and I'm looking at the car, going, "Oh my God, yes! I had the the matchbox of that car back <laughs> in the early '60s." So I I recognized it. I knew what I was looking at, and I said, "This is what's wrong with the car," and all that. And, and uh, when they finally uh, Phil Remington does his Remington magic and massages that car into being competitive, it's it. Uh, I was really pleased with what they'd done with all that. Yeah. Yeah, and the one thing I was glad about, you know, was was actually Ken Miles kind of getting his due, 
because he's he's yeah. kind of gotten a forget he's been a kind of a forgotten figure in the world you know if you're into sports car racing in that era you know who he is but uh just racing historians in general if you're more indie centric or nascar centric or formula one ken miles unfortunately has kind of been forgotten i was certainly glad that they uh brought him out i was very happy with christian uh bale's portrayal even though i've heard some criticism of the accent which you always seem to get uh with any type of english accent and different types of english accents and whatnot but uh what did you think of his portrayal of ken miles yeah completely happy with it i mean i realize um uh, christian bale's style probably made him a little bit more irascible uh the fist fights that he and shelby have within the film are are fabricated for the film Mm -hmm. um Shelby and, and Ken got along extremely well. I mean, basically, and I, this is, I think, where the film profiles it, it well, because Shelby, um, Shelby's a salesman. He is, he is an entrepreneur in the sense that he's able to cleverly put tab A in slot B. Ken Miles is the guy who drove, as it's explained in the movie and done well, drove the car to the point where they fixed the things that, uh, Eric Broadley in designing the base car uh, hadn't quite gotten right. And then Phil Remington, who, by and large, anybody in motorsports ought to know who Phil is because he touched IndyCar, sports cars, uh, NASCAR, uh, one of the best fabricators ever. And you get a, a nice uh, view of the triad of these guys, and I think accurately represented, really nicely done. Yeah, and this is a project that's been around for 20 plus years in Hollywood and there's been many many scripts that were were that were brought in and one of the issues uh they had uh Matt Damon was uh doing a, a segment with uh, Jay Leno and Leno says he's been aware of the, of, of the story that you know this script has been around for years and years and a different they tried different scripts and usually it was usually so ungainly because of so many characters that with this one this latest one that they made made the movie down they kind of narrowed it down and it's funny how there's some criticisms of well they left this guy out well that was one of the reasons that's how they were able to get the movie done is because he kind of simplified it you can't have you know you 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 start i mean the days of like the longest day with these huge ensembles are are gone aren't they tom yeah yeah i mean this uh, like you say i mean this project started in 64 and functionally ended in 1969 uh, when John Wire was running the cars. And it's, it's a huge story to tell. And telling the 1966 side of it, you kind of have to tell as much as they did. And uh, yet Hollywood still has to look for a conventional hook. So there were those who said, yeah, it's a buddy film. But, you know, there are always going to be race fans who are going to want it to be like Le Mans. And what Steve McQueen kind of carried was a script that was probably three pages long mm-hmm. and some of the best racing footage ever filmed. We got some of that, but yet we also got a story that for more people, it, it's a crossover. It allows them to gain access. Uh, and uh, as we've seen, there have been some articles from, um, I think, more snowflakey approaches as, yeah, well, this is just a bunch of, you know, machismo white guys uh, and gasoline guzzling cars and stuff. But that's what I love about it. You know, this is a throwback to a point when racing was still uh, a lot more experimental, a lot more innovative. Um, there was 
a greater opportunity for it. And you can imagine for guys like Shelby and, and uh, Miles where, you know, they had the ability to experiment and they had the Ford Motor Company money behind them to do it. Uh, what a great opportunity. Uh, let, Tom, let's take a quick break here we'll, and we'll come back. We'll talk a little more, uh, some racing, uh, especially when it comes to uh, Ferrari versus uh, Ford. Coming up next on the Final Inspection Show. Final inspection show brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, along with Great Lakes or Great Lakes Dragway and David Hobbs Honda joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. It is Tom Beeler from Indianapolis as we're talking about the Ford versus Ferrari film, or if in your if you're in Europe, it's a Le Mans '66. Uh, Tom, uh, yeah. let's see it, what 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 was the one negative thing you thought about the film that kind of like I didn't like that. Actually, you know, bumping into me coming on the show, I think you nailed it. I, they they kind of had to make a villain, and Leo Beebe winds up becoming uh, the unnecessary bad guy. It's interesting because uh, I'd gone back to do uh, a little homework conversation with uh, a mutual friend of ours, Tim Considine, has just come out with a book uh, on Americans at Le Mans, and I went and reread his chapter on 66, and Carol Shelby really liked Leo Beebe, and, and – um, he somebody had to make the decision about how the 66 race was going to finish. And Ken Miles had had a great year because both uh, he had won both Sebring and uh, Daytona, uh, what's now the Rolex, uh, earlier that year. And so some had speculated. There's always a conspiracy. Some had speculated, oh, well, they're, they wanted to make sure it wasn't that Ken Miles wins those three races. It was that Ford wins those three races that – you know, ostensibly set up McLaren and Eamon winning uh, the Le Mans event. But um, there's enough reason to believe, no, I mean, they wanted a corporate finish and and so on, and that BB basically went with the easiest thing is let's not have these two guys fight it out uh, to try to see who was going to win. Um, we've got to save the cars and get that great three-car finish. So uh, that was a little bit overly dramatic but um in general i felt that it was pretty well played i mean there there was a give and take that shelby and miles had that uh i think was very um very gutsy and i think they handled it well a little bit too hollywood but those are really the only minor complaints um i'm really happy with the finish what was your uh what do you think about ray mckinnon uh he played phil remington in the movie you know, like I said earlier, I think Phil Remington is one of these guys who there's a movie in Phil Remington completely because um, he's one of those guys who um, had been with Carol for a long time. Um, and uh, ultimately, after Carol got out of the business of building cars, wound up working for Dan Gurney. And, and um, there are many who say that the, the, the secret to the success of the Ford program is really Phil Remington's. Um, I think he's, he's well represented in the film. There are guys who know better than I, but um, I was looking for that stabilizing influence. I like those guys who are sort of the, uh, 
uh, Nikola Tesla's the real inventors of uh, a given uh, energy. And, and Remington was one of those guys who could go in, know something is an issue. Uh, he'd do a ride along in the second seat, say, I know you've got this issue, that issue, and would immediately work up a fix. I think the film really handled him well. All right. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, it's like, like I said, uh, going back to what we said in the segment before, I really, really like the detail, uh, you know, that, that went into the movie. And I, I was also kind of got out of a little bit of a crush on Molly Miles. What did you think of her portrayal in the movie? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, this is one of those things where, <laughs> excuse me, particularly going in and, and, uh, knowing, uh, Ken Miles's fate, there's, uh, a certain pain I think a lot of women will understand and having a guy who is so obsessed with his career and, and yet, you know, faced with the challenge of raising a son with all of this uncertainty, professional uncertainty in her husband. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, it, this is the, those one of those things about a movie that it's never going to be perfect for everybody because it's not a documentary, but it's not a, a soap. It's, um, it's got to have something that connects everybody, and there are going to be those people who may have been dragged along to the movie who get a bit of the romance and understand that they were you know, passionately in love, and yet she was very tolerant of the difficulties in his career and uh, and in his personality, and yet at the same time it's a buddy thing for those people who need you know, more uh, press-the-flesh kind of stuff. And then uh, the motorsports guys get the hardware, so... Uh, if you if you're kind of going through the banquet, uh, the the cafeteria line of, of picking up elements to make a successful movie, I think it has enough of everything that that there's a uh, all of your uh, vitamins are coming in one big meal. I think it's fine. And for those that are hungry for a documentary, there is one that just came out in the last couple of years, and that's uh, by Nate Adams and Adam Carolla. It's the the 24 hour war, which talks about the Ford versus Ferrari fight. Uh, have you have you seen that that documentary, Tom? No, it's 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 on the to do list. In fact, okay. I've been guilted for not having seen it. But yeah, yeah, highly recommended on that. They did a really nice job on that, and uh, that is uh, yeah. If you want to know if you're really into you know like getting in deep into a story, uh, that's that's a highly highly recommended uh, a documentary that they did on that. So Tom, we certainly appreciate you taking time out and look, uh, hopefully we can get together, uh, and chat next year on the final inspection show. We're counting on it. I appreciate it. Steve. Thanks. All right. And, and happy anniversary too, by the way. And you, and welcome back from meteor crater. Okay. Thank you. That's Tom Beeler on the, on the great Midwest bank outline. Looking to buy, build, renovate, or refinance in 2019? Look no further. Call Great Midwest Bank today, Great Midwest Bank. Providing simply local common sense lending to your community since 1935. We'll have more coming up next on the Final Inspection Show. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zockey. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove. On 105.7 FM, The Fan. Welcome back to the final inspection show here on Sports Radio 105.7 FM. The fan brought to you, of course, by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. 
and of our good friends over at David Hobbs Honda. Uh, joining us now on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, it's Mr. Radio Joe Zenzola live from Indianapolis. He's down there for the Big Ten Championship game tonight with your Wisconsin Badgers taking on the number one team in the nation, the Ohio State Buckeyes. Joe, how you doing today? Jeffrey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Now, uh, what is what's going to be the difference today that uh, we didn't see in the first matchup when the Badgers got the doors blown off? Well, I think the the biggest thing is after watching the Minnesota game last week, we saw a way more aggressive Wisconsin offense. We saw a more creative offense. And when the Badgers went up against Ohio State the last time, it was very conservative. It was very status quo. There was really nothing that Paul Chris wanted to, you know, dial up and try to do something a little bit different or something a little bit more unconventional. It was, you know, try to give the ball to Jonathan Taylor and see if Ohio State can beat you in the box. And Ohio State kept Jonathan Taylor in check. Ohio State was able to get to Jack Cohen immediately. And you just weren't able to do anything on offense. But I think after watching this game against Minnesota, you saw so many different things where Jack Cohen was able to go deep. He was able to hit his receivers left and right. And the offensive line was just able to win. And they were able to give Jonathan Taylor more room to work with. So I, I think going into this game, you have to be aggressive if you want to beat Ohio State. You are going to have to do some things that maybe you haven't even unleashed up to this point. You got, yeah, you're going to have to throw some things at this Ohio State defense that they have not seen on film. And I think if, you, if you're too conservative, that, that's not going to go anywhere for you. So I, I, I would expect the Badgers on offense to be able to do some more aggressive things. And Jack Cohen, if he can get the protection that he needs just to give him an extra second or two to throw the football, he might be able to take some more deep shots down the field to Quintez Cephas, who those two guys have a very good chemistry, and it's a shame they haven't been able to go to that more this year. One of the things you can't coach is speed, and obviously this Ohio State team has just an incredible amount of speed on both sides of the ball. Do you give uh, the fact that the Badgers have faced Ohio State once already this season, got to see that speed live, do you think that gives them an advantage uh, here in game number two? Well, I, I think if you're the Badger defense, you're probably going to have to play a lot of zone against these guys just don't have a choice and believe me i'm not you know i'm not someone that likes to be a proponent of zone defense i I just zone defense can lead to so many problems but you know that in pretty much every matchup when it comes to you know receivers against you know defensive backs of the badgers that these guys they're going to run all over you and it's going to be hard to do those man-on-man matchups i mean it, it, it just is so you're going to have to just play your spots and you're just going to have to read how these guys are running routes, and you're going to have to stick to them like glue. You're going to have to not miss tackles. I mean, what have we seen against previous Badger-Ohio State matchups over the years? Ohio State always has more speed than Wisconsin, and what happens? If you can't wrap up on a receiver with a football, you're screwed. I mean, it happened just a couple of years ago in the Big Ten Championship. It happened a few years ago in 2014 when they got blown out. They could have they couldn't tackle anyone to save their lives and before you know what the game was over. So I think for the Badger defense, they are going to have to play a lot of zone in this. And those, when they get a shot, 
at a receiver or even at J.K. Dobbins, if he's carrying the football, you got to wrap up quick. you got to be able to do that. Otherwise, this game could be over before you know it. Well, now we've only got about a minute to go here, Joe, but uh, this is, what, your third or fourth Big Ten championship game that you've gone down to Indianapolis to cover. What is your record so far uh, covering these games? Uh, I am 0-3. So you're due. I am due. I should be due. Fant- fantastic. Give me a final score, Joe. All right. I'll say I'm going to be 0-4 here. But I think the Badgers are going to play it close. I'm going to say 30-24 Ohio State. They're going to give them a run for their money. Hopefully I'm wrong. Let's see if I'm wrong. It could be a special night for the Badgers. But Ohio State, this is probably the best. Ohio State football team ever assembled. I'm buying into that. So it'll be a good game either way. I think I, I think it was worth the trip coming down here. And that was Radio Joe, producer extraordinaire on the Bill Michaels show. You can hear Bill Michaels uh, weekdays from 10 to 2 right here on the fan. Down in Indianapolis live for uh, Wisconsin and Ohio State part de the Big Ten championship game tonight. If you follow uh, Radio Joe on Twitter, he'll have great content all game long. Uh, He is at Radio Joe Sports. So, Steve, you give Wisconsin any shot uh, tonight against Ohio State? Yeah, I do. Um, I do, but am I going to put money on it? No. If I'm a betting man, I'm going to go with uh, Ohio State. What is the spread? It's a bunch. Let me look. 21, I think. Yeah, something like that. And, you know, I mean, it's history says no. You know, history says they're, it's out of their league. And plus, it's an indoor game. It, it's a, That's an asset for Ohio State, which has so much speed. They're the fastest. Not only are they the most talented team in the uh, Big Ten, but they're also the fastest. I think it was six. Maybe 16, 16 or 21 for Yeah, some. 16 and a half right now. Huh. I would I would take Ohio State and give the points. I think it's going to be blowout city again. You think so? Yeah, you know. Do they do they score 50? They they definitely could. Ohio State is so so good this year. They've just, you know, I would not be surprised if they have five guys drafted in the first round. Ohio State and LSU in the championship. Maybe Clemson, but yeah, you know, Ohio State, LSU are definitely one, two. I'd like to see that. Head and shoulders above the rest. Uh, but Clemson, you know, they, for being the defending champion, they have uh, They've definitely been, quiet, though. been under the yeah. radar. Yeah, they really have. So, yeah. and they got one of the uh, best quarterbacks in the nation. So, uh, you know, Clemson, the, the a lot of people one, are sleeping on them. The number one pick in 2021. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk uh, some more movies, but we're going to talk racing movies. All right. What's our favorite racing movies? Coming up next on the Final Inspection Show. Welcome back to the Final Inspection Show. Steve Zotke along with Jeff Orlowski. 
final show of the year. Are we having fun yet, Jeff? Absolutely, Steve. You know, I was just thinking during the break, am I going to miss you uh, during the off season? Well, we do have that podcast. Yeah, we do. We the, do. The, the Green uh, and Gold NNL podcast. Yeah, you can check that out on uh, radio.com as well. Uh, it's always under Packer coverage or the uh, the producers uh, podcast. You can and also find us on Facebook. Yeah, Facebook, Twitter, we're all over the place. So um, I know that, uh, you know, the good thing about NASCAR is that the offseason is so short. Well, you know, I, 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 feel, I feel sad for these people. You, you know, they'll post something. I don't know if they're just saying us to, I don't get attention to themselves or what, but it's like, oh, I can't wait till the next NASCAR or next race starts or only – 68 days until the Daytona 500. I'm like, don't you have any other interests in life? I mean, there's other things going on. I mean, maybe I'm blessed because I have other interests. I mean, I love auto racing. I love motorsports. I love football, but I also love other things in life. You know, go travel, do something, see the world. Hello. Yeah, you know, but some people can't afford it. Uh, some people's I understand jobs that, can't but get away. Still, but and volunteer at a hospital go meet some people i mean just you know yeah <laughs> i agree i definitely i'm not uh i haven't started the countdown to daytona by any means but uh you know i i kind of miss it but you know the packers being as good as they are this year that is uh definitely helping to ease the pain uh i'm not a huge nba guy but the bucks are phenomenal uh so far this season yeah, last night that was impressive. Uh, oh, my two they... favorite teams, Bucks and Clippers, and they just manhandled the Clippers. Now you may think, well, maybe they were giving a Kawhi a break or Paul George a break. No, everybody was. It was all everybody played last night. All hands on deck, and the Bucks killed them. They did. They just manhandled them, and you know maybe you could say it was just an off night for the for the Clippers. But with uh, nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter. You know, Rivers is pulling his guys. He's like, no, we're done. You yeah. Know? And then I'm like, pull Giannis. Get him out of the game. <laughs> if they well, I think he only, he only played, he I want to say, 24, yeah. 25 minutes yesterday. Yeah. and he, he did. So I was I was happy of that. Cause... But, yeah, you know, it, it's a short off season. Um, But I'm glad it's the off season because towards the end of the year, well, I started getting burned out a and, little and bit. And here's the thing. if you, you know, There's so many other venues out there that you can look at. I mean, last night I watched <laughs> – uh, a synopsis of the 1969 Atlanta 500. Never seen it before. Yeah, really cool. I mean, it was. I've never seen that race before. Well, and if yeah. you're geeked about racing, the snowball yeah. derby is right. going on. Exactly. So. so there's other things out there. Just get out there and live life. You know, don't don't be going. Oh, I can't wait till Daytona. There's other stuff out there. Hey, we're gonna talk about some other auto racing movies. Uh, we gave a big thumbs up to the Ford versus Ferrari movie. Uh, very, very good movie. Very, um, I love the, the attention to detail. I think it captures, uh, the era very well. They take some liberty, but it is a film. It's not a documentary. And as I said, you want a documentary, go to chassis.com and see Nate Adams and Adam Carolla is a 24 hour war. Very, very highly, highly recommended. If you th really like the movie with Matt Damon, Christian Bale, you want to know about it, go see that. Uh, go get that. It's, I think you can get it on Amazon Prime, too, and, and probably Netflix. 
I think, but uh, it's called the 24-Hour War. Kind of really digs in and uh, uh, talks about how Ford basically went to war against Ferrari after uh, Ford tried to buy Ferrari and uh, was reneged at the last moment. So good, good movie. Both thumbs, both see both. You know. Yeah, absolutely. I would spice see the movie first, and then maybe see the documentary. If if it might yeah. screw you up a little bit. Yeah, you know, because like I said at the start of the show, you know that uh, that's what killed me on the American Sniper movie, right? Which I thought was a fin- it was a good movie. It was entertaining as well, but I read the book first, yeah. so I knew the the what the true story was, and when the opening scene of the film is absolute fiction. It just blew the rest of the movie for me. Uh, some other movies. Uh, Senna. Have you seen the Senna documentary? Nope. Senna documentary is, of course, about Ayrton Senna, by the great one of the greatest racing drivers of all time, tragically killed in 1994 at the San Marino Grand Prix, and uh, highly recommended. Uh, if even if you're not a fan, Senna is one of those guys. You know if. if you don't realize if you're an American, you might not realize how big he was of a person outside of the United States. He was like, uh, who was it, Ronaldo, the soccer guy? I, I Maybe. I. <laughs> he, he was big. He was like Pele. Remember Pele? I, that name I know. <laughs> uh, let's see here. One. That's a documentary. It's uh, just number one. It's a it's a Formula One documentary, and it 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 kind of is you know how we have twenty four hour war, and then uh, uh, Ford versus Ferrari. This is kind of like this movie one, which is an awful name, um, deals with James Hunt and Nikki Lauda's, which was brought up with the Ron Howard movie Rush. So it was, uh, uh, which I highly recommend it. The attention to detail once again with Rush was really good, so uh, I those are if you're into Formula One racing or into Nicky Lauda was one of those guys who was in a, a very uh, horrific accident. But if you like comeback stories, very, uh, thumbs up on those two. And then uh, Le Mans. Now this is there was there were three big movies in the '60s on auto racing. First one was Grand Prix by John Frankenheimer. Then there's Winning, that's the Paul Newman movie. And then Le Mans came out in 71 based on the 70 24 Hours of Le Mans. Uh, both, I like all three. It's really hard for me to say which one is better because they both, from a cinematic point of view, John. I, I was, I'm a big John Frankenheimer fan. So what he was able to do with putting the cars, with putting cameras in the cars and the in-car footage for 1966 was really ahead of its time. Fantastic stuff. Uh, it's a, it's definitely Hollywoodish, some of the scenes in there, but from a cinematic point of view and the tracks and the era they cover, it is top of the line. Winning. Is is the movie with Joanne Woodward and uh, and Robert Wagner and Paul Newman? It's the movie that really got Paul Newman into auto racing, and that was made during the summer of 1968, released in '69, and it's kind of based on the '60. It's a fictionalized version 
of the 1968 Indianapolis 500, but kind of deals with a, a race driver. There's really some really good components to it that kind of shows the life and what, what a driver had to deal with back then. I like it. Uh, John Boy's in it. Uh, Walton, what is his name? Uh, is real, real like John, uh, John Boy. <laughs> How old do you think I am? <laughs> John Boy. I don't know anybody named John Boy. But he's in there too. And uh, I, I like that movie. And then Lamal. Now, Lamal is a movie by Steve McQueen. <laughs> John <laughs> John by from the wall. All I say is, boy, I gotta go hit the John. That's all I know. Uh, Lamont. Now, to, to show you what kind of movie this is, there is no dialogue in this movie for the first five minutes. Nice. Yeah, nothing. I timed it one day. <laughs> I was watching. That's kind of like the opening to uh, Private Ryan, Saving yeah. Private Ryan, yeah. where yeah, they're just phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely phenomenal. But go ahead. I I'm sorry to. Well, this ain't this ain't like that because he's well, just, he's, he's just driving around in his Porsche 912 <laughs> and just tooling around at a racetrack. So, uh, yeah, it, it it's it's short on character development a lot, but once again, the cinematography and the in car footage is second to none for its time. So I uh, highly recommend that, but it's a little. It's artsy. Okay. Supposedly, I forgot if it was, uh, I think it was Brian Redmond was one of the drivers. It worked the summer. I think 200 bucks a day or whatever ridiculous amount of money. Okay. Uh, that you, they were getting. And he goes, he's driving down. He's driving down one of the straightaways. And he goes over the hill. And there's a guy laying in the. Laying on the track with a camera, <clears throat> zips by him, misses, you know, miss, misses him by about three feet. It was Steve McQueen. Really? He goes, who's that? He goes into the pits. Who's that crazy son of a, you know, so-and-so out there? You know, oh, that was I. I got King got back on his motorcycle and came back and met him in the pits. Oh, that was me. Oh, what? Wow. I wanted to get the shot. And it were like, you know, if the powers to be in, in Hollywood, would they would have had a fit. They would have shut the film down, they were saying. But oh, yeah. yeah. He was, uh, yeah, he was, he was, you know, uh, Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen's great. Absolutely One of, one great. of the cool guys, huh? You know, I uh, I loved uh, Papillon. That's one of them. I love one Papillon. Of my now, that, see, now I'm impressed. Now you, you, you kind of came up on my list a little bit with that one. <laughs> Just, you know, him and Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. Just what a phenomenal, it's phenomenal movie that the was. The Little Butterfly Tattoo. Yeah. Yeah. Then they remade that movie. Why, I don't know. All right. And then Days of Thunder. That's, that's the movie you saw. That's awful. The... Just absolutely awful. One cliche after another. That movie, I liked it when I was a kid. If you took it... It does not age well. It doesn't. But if you took... Uh, the, the, the best part of the movie is Robert Duvall character who is based on yeah. Harry, Harry Hyde, right? Who they call Harry Hogg in the movie, I guess. But that's the character that was Robert Duvall was the best thing about that movie. Of course. 
Yeah, the rest of that movie was just absolute hot garbage. I was kind of disappointed with it because it could have been such a good movie where they pushed it a little too far. They didn't have to make it as crash bang as it was. Right. And then the whole love story with Tom Cruise and that doctor and all right. that kind of crap was, you know, was awful. But, uh, yeah, that movie did not age well. They've been showing that a lot on uh, on the premium channels on cable lately. And so I gave it another spin about six months ago, and uh, that it's didn't last well. long. No. no. But, um, you know, you've got to tell me, Steve, when the next time, you know, you, obviously you're – you're back in studio now, and, uh, you know, we were going to call this the Steve Zaki Memorial Studio because you were gone so damn long. Uh, so the next time you leave for, for a month out of town, you got to let me know and then just leave a pile of movies, you know, next to your, you know, one of your seven TVs in your living room. And I could just come on by, throw one in, watch it, get away from the, the family for a couple hours and... Uh, Enjoy some racing I should movies. Do, I should do that. I should, uh, I should drop off some movies for you. Hey, that uh, you know, I there's a lot of one. There's a lot of movies I still have to see. You and do have a DVD player, right? Yes, I do. Okay. Yes, I do. My problem is I watch the same movies over and over. And there's over. some movies I have a. I, I do that with a lot of the Marvel movies because you can kind of just if you're flipping through the channels. And because you, you, you can, it, it's those movies that you can kind of seamlessly get into. I've never seen any of them. Like, or the like Ferris, or like a Ferris Bueller movie or something. Yeah. So yeah. for me, it's Jaws. I've seen that a hundred yeah. million times. Uh, Thirteen Days, one of my favorite movies about the Cuban Missile Crisis. Oh yeah, love that movie. I've seen that a thousand million times. Yeah. Uh, now Hunter Killer is the new one. Uh, I've watched that a bunch of times about. Um, uh, a, a coup in at Polyarni in Russia, and the Russian president gets taken hostage, and the U.S. sends a a small SEAL team to go rescue him. And uh, you know, any any movie that's got a submarine in it, I'm I'm watching. So, from Hunt from uh, Red October, Das Boot, uh, uh, Run, Run Silent, Run, Run Deep. Silent, Run Deep. I'll watch all those See, a million times. Yeah, and I I do too. I, I do like them too, but I I could never serve on a sub. So thankfully, I'm too tall. Oh yeah, I couldn't either. Yeah. I no thanks. I'm nope. being underwater, not seeing nope. the sun for nope. for months at not a time. You're out of your mind. Well, it's been a fun year. It has, Steve. Thank you. This was uh, it was a good time. Thank you. Oh, likewise. How much time do we have? Uh, about uh, twenty seconds. Well, and I like to thank our listeners too. I like to thank all the people that came up to us when we we're doing our remotes. And whether it's up by Road America, and uh, without you guys, uh, the show wouldn't be possible. And of course, our sponsors, Great Lakes Dragway and David Hobbs Honda. Yeah, big tip of the hat to all you guys for listening week in, week out, putting up with uh, with me. Uh, you know, obviously, Steve, uh, you know, carries me every week. And, uh, you know, appreciate all the nice words on Twitter and all that stuff. So thank you for listening. You guys are, we love you. You mean the world. We'll see you in the spring. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.